0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Carmelina Moscato has been all around the world playing soccer and learning about the game of soccer for most of her life. She played college soccer at Penn State. She won an Olympic bronze medal with Canada, and she has 94 caps for her country. She has also played professionally on three continents, and the list could go on and on and on. But Carmelina retired in her early 30s from playing, but she wasn't ready to leave the game entirely. She quickly switched to coaching and got herself on the fast track to working with the next young stars in Canada and elsewhere. Things didn't go quite like she planned though. And When I spoke to her, she was in Australia where she was working through new and different challenges than she had ever experienced before. So this conversation provides a peek inside of the life of a retired female player that is discovering new ways to stay involved with the game and impact the next generation of players. So just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the 343 Coaching Education Program, and that is what helps to support and fund what we are doing here, what you are listening to today. So if you are interested in learning about uh, possession soccer, about how one of the best teams in American youth soccer was formed over the course of about a decade, uh, if you're interested in learning from one of the best youth coaches proven, youth coaches in the united states you can go check that out at 343coaching.com but if you are already here and you want to just keep listening i hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with carmelina moscato Okay, now it's recording.
1: <laughs> awesome.
0: Perfect. Okay, so we figured out the mouse noise. Um, yep. We're all good to there go. There might be
1: some random conversation in the background, but I'm just at a little coffee shop, so...
0: No, it, sound, it sounds fine. I, I, actually, I, I've thought about like, recording episodes where I'm in a coffee shop, but I, I yeah, think the coffee shop that I go to is like way too loud. Like They're super busy. And yes, it would not... actually
1: like, mute you out, yeah. This yeah. one's pretty low-key. I live in a pretty small town here in australia so i don't have that kind of problem
0: (laughs) ever Uh, fill me in on that because i thought you told me you lived in sydney
1: well sydney is like what i say when i'm from toronto but i'm actually from mississauga so i'm from i'm living in wollongong right now it's about an hour from sydney um same time zone and all that but it's it's an hour south and i'm right on the coast so it's probably one of the more beautiful destinations here it's called the illawarra it's the illawarra region so yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: <laughs> well, I know Australian. Australian is supposed to be like English, right? But those words, those towns, it sounds like a foreign language to me. Like I don't well, understand what anything I mean. you just said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I if I would have said Wollongong I would have lost you from the beginning. So I just said, you know what? I'll keep it safe.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, all right. Well, cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of tell you how. I came to, to, to find out about you, I guess. And I think I might have Perfect. hinted at it in some text messages. But um, yeah, so, so Tiffany is somebody that I, I interviewed recently, and she has unlocked quite a few doors for me, introducing me to a number of different people, um, both on the men's and the women's side of the game, and coaching, playing, and also um, kind of like the sports psychology side of the game as well, which is pretty cool. Um, That's right. Mm-hmm. So... That is how I came to find out about you, and I'm excited to learn more about what you've been up to, because you're taking a very interesting and, um, let's uh, let's call it un, unproven path, I guess, is, is one way to put it. So going from Canada to United States to all over the rest of the world, and then now in Australia, which is kind of like uncharted waters for most, I think, most people that are trying to follow a, a soccer career. So...
1: Totally. Um, Well, that's cool. I'm glad Tiffany introduced us. Um, She is uh, a legend in her own right. She has (laughs) uh, what an incredible soccer mind and soccer personality out there and one of my dear friends. So that's uh, very cool that she's connected us. But I mean, I'm happy to have a conversation because you caught me at a really just interesting time in the whole plan. And like you said, it is uncharted waters and You know, I'm in a point where in my career where I've, I had a very, very strong end in mind um, before, I would say two years ago, I finished playing with Canada and I retired in May, 2016 from international duty. I was no longer being selected. I was very low on the uh, depth chart for center backs and, you know, it was time to move on and that happens. And, you know, that's everyone's career ends at some point. And I decided instead of moving all over the world to continue playing, um, you know, I was pretty much done with that journey. I got everything, I, I, I juiced the jam, you know, I got everything I needed out of, out of playing. And I, had, I have had and always have had a very strong pull towards coaching. So I decided to put all my eggs in that basket and decided to go on a coaching journey wherever that took me. And then I kind of, I got picked up by Canada Soccer. Um, I did a year and a half mentorship, I went to U17 World Cup, U20 World Cup qualifiers, I coached in every single youth camp there was last year, um, and I managed some provinces delivering our national curriculum with Canada um, on the East Coast. So I had a very, very rich year of learning um, experiences, and it, it lit a fire in me. Um, I almost started with too much too soon. That mentorship allowed me to experience a national team job right out of playing. That doesn't happen ever anywhere in the world. <laughs> and it was unique. And I think what it did was open my eyes to say, you know what, this is what it looks and feels feels like with all the resources in the world. Canada's very well funded because of the Olympic bronze back-to-backs that John brought to Canada, you know, the, the women's program at the time was very, very well funded. And then As soon as uh, I think there was a couple changes internally, John went to the men's side to take on a men's world cup that's coming to Canada. Um, And with all that stuff in the works, my mentorship was basically cut and I was released into the stream of the world to do it on my own, which I probably would have done initially anyway. So it was like I had this year and a half of amazingness, but now I get to kind of do it on my own. And um, what does that even mean? Like, where do I want to coach at the end, you know? Um, And I don't I don't know the answer to that yet. I just know I want to take experiences that allow me to grow and moving to moving across the world with my partner, something like, you know, something I've never done before. And then also experiencing a completely new league um, with a women's team was incredible. It was the perfect move for me. I I was the only staff for two teams coaching in the highest division that they offer at the minute in Australia for women. So I learned a lot. Yeah,
0: no, (laughs) no doubt. Yeah,
1: about football and uh, all the rest of it. So that—that's I'm a long-winded type of person, but that's the long and short of it.
0: Yeah, no. What I what I wanted to ask when you were talking was um, if you could if you could kind of go back and talk about that conversation that you had you know, with the Canadian FA, I'm not exactly sure what you guys call it, but the, the Canadian, um, soccer association. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when, when it was time to cut you and set you free, like what, what happened there? How how did that conversation come about? Are there any details that you can share about, you know, their parting words to you and things like that?
1: Yeah, to be fair, I think it was a chaotic time. There was no real parting words. Um, I'll, I think it was, you know, almost like it it times up, (laughs) there was no more job like basically the the Rex talent manager job that I took, which was, again, to manage um, the delivery of the national curriculum throughout the the country. And that was how we were going to unify the country is making sure that we had a high performance center in each province. They were delivering what the national team was delivering Uh, content wise. We were we were, you know, the conveyor belt was up and running. Um, And when all this happened, this was John's baby and Bev Priestman's baby, who's now the head, uh, excuse me, the assistant coach in England. So with all this being said, you know, there's so many changes in the program in such a short time with John moving on. Uh, Bev at the time was still on board, but, you know, obviously was going to move on. And so it was like the conversation wasn't hard. It wasn't easy. It was just kind of like it was what it was. There was no job there for me. Um, The four-year mentorship that I had, kind of signed up for was to allow two female candidates myself and Reen wilkinson to apply to be eligible to be qualified enough to apply with all the experiences in 2020 for that head coaching job um for canada because john was uh, stepping down after you know would have been a very very long tenure so when that ended a year in i was already sold the dream <laughs> to coach internationally i was already sold you know the dream was i bought it i, I was uh, you know you didn't have to say one more word i was in i wanted to coach canada i wanted to be part of coaching canada at some point but i realized how limiting that is i want to coach at a high level in a not only internationally i do want to take on a quadrennial for a country at one point in my in my career but i also want to coach in a in a champions league i want to coach in japan because they're doing it the best apparently <laughs> yeah. i want to do all these things and and i want to it's almost opened my pathway if that makes sense it's really comfortable to have a pathway set out in front of you and said this is what you're going to do for the next four years car but when somebody strips that away then you have it's only you and now you're like shit what do i want to do <laughs> you know you can bleep that out and yeah, um it's all good and, and and i think that's where i'm at i did you know one full year here in australia rich of lessons like unbelievable what do you do when you don't have sports scientists and people are going to be like oh who who is she to think that everyone has a sports scientist, nobody has a sports scientist. Yes, but that's the world I came from. So when you don't have it, what's actually relevant and what's important? You know, and that's all the types of things I was doing on a day-to-day basis. I was the physio, I was the assistant coach, I was the goalkeeper coach, I was the head coach, all in one season.
0: Amazing. So many, yeah, no, so many coaches are going to be hearing this right now. And they're gonna to relate to that because, I mean, myself especially. When you coach high school soccer in California, and you mm-hmm. have a road and you have a road game, you get like a little medical kit that has some tape, a couple band aids, you know. And you hope and, for the best. <laughs> yeah, and, and then and then a player comes walking up to you before the game. Hey, coach, can you tape my ankle? I'd be like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Sure, <laughs> like no problem. <laughs>
1: I'll give it a crack.
0: Yeah, so yeah, so many it's... so many coaches are gonna to relate to that, and and I'm sure they would enjoy hearing, you know, how, how you handled that. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what you did the first few weeks. Like how did you readjust to, to that environment of, of, Oh shit. Like, you know, this is, this is me, this is, everything's on my shoulders.
1: Right. Um, so what I did was I came in with this grand plan, right? That's what I've been taught to, you know, you have this grand plan of a four corner program that's going to have mental Uh, assistance from the university had this whole thing that the University of Wollongong was going to be our uh, mental consultant mental psychology consultants they were going to be the mental coach trainers I had um, we had an affiliation with a local physio and I said okay they're going to take care of that aspect of the program the health and the medical um, moments for the players okay great then I had the technical tactical corner fantastic social emotional I'm going to source a manager when I get there okay so none of that happened (laughs) (laughs) none of that happened and and what i did was i realized okay so who do i need to surround myself with to at least get the advice because i'm not an expert in everything and that's not my job to be an expert in everything who is you know people are hired to do the job that they're doing and i'm a soccer coach i'm a technical technical technician at the minute that's what i'm good at and when i look at the corners that i'm not good at so i i hired nick lehman from the seattle rain I said, Nick, what's your, you know, I have your um, we friends from four. I've had a lot of uh, time spent with the Seattle rain. And I said, listen, what does it cost per hour to source you when I need help? Can I call you up on the phone weekly? Can you design my conditioning program? How about if a player's injured? Will you design their return to play? So I sourced people and I surrounded myself with people that were going to help me. And I was willing to pay out of pocket because I, I said to my okay, I'm not making much, but at least I get what the players need and I make something out of nothing. With the mental aspects of the program, massive need for it with this group of players that I just inherited this year. But the the university is about, we weren't even able to use their facilities, let alone their their IP <laughs> <laughs> and their people <laughs> and their departments. Are you kidding? Like it was just so far away from that partnership being at where I needed or where I wanted it to be or where I see it being. So that was just kind of parked and I had to use my experiences from, you know, all the stuff that I've had done with mental training. And I try to impart that on the players. And then the the physio aspect, I had to weed through people and call, call in favors locally. Can you please take my player at 5 p.m. and get her ankle taped because X. So it's around, it's, I, I guess in summary to your question, it's around what do you actually need? What What's fluff? What's extra? Get down to the crux of what your program needs and then source the people around you and do anything it takes to get that across the line.
0: Sometimes have-
1: it is just calling for a favor you know
0: yeah i'm curious would you have ever learned that in a coaching course
1: no chance absolutely not (laughs) i mean like i've been to many many coach i've accelerated my uh, my pathways because of obviously trying to do everything within two years i've taken my canadian c my canadian national b i've taken my uefa b my uefa a i've done those courses i've been on the ground for that and when i think about all the things that i've learned conversations were with the people at the course were probably where I learned the most but then on the field you learn how to coach the methodology you know how the five step methodology all that great stuff how to paint pictures and that's invaluable as a technician but if you give somebody a bomb of a program I don't know you I don't know if you can teach that in a course I have no idea but no <laughs> I didn't learn it there
0: it's it's a definitely a hot topic in in American soccer right now, especially with coaching education and the price of coaching education and the access to coaching education, but just the program in general, um, you know, it, it, it's even funnier. Now I'm thinking as I'm describing it, their latest tagline is like reality based training. And the course that I just finished couldn't be further from reality in, in, in some regards, because you know, the reality of training sessions, in the United States is you get like 40 yards by 40 yards, you know, not all of your players show up to training. You don't Mm -hmm. have the, you know, like you said, like the four corner program, like you have one corner and you know, you keep everything in that corner. Um, (laughs) and, and so, you know, the, the struggles again, that the, the coaches that are listening to this podcast are used to, are, are very much what, what you've described and the environments that are created in coaching courses are great for learning, but. Very unrealistic right now for American coaches in the the real American youth soccer landscape. And I'm sure, maybe you can verify for me, that it's very similar in Canada and probably Australia as well when it comes to youth soccer.
1: Yeah, I think these coaching courses, you know, really ensure that the, the person experiencing that course becomes a better coach on the grass. And if you can't deliver on the grass, you've lost your players and all the rest of it. But it would be cool to go away from those courses and say, you know, create that mock environment of what we're talking about and say, you designed a session for 15 players, two keepers, one keeper doesn't show up and three have tonsillitis all of a sudden. <laughs> and And then... You know, how do you what do you how do you adapt to that session plan you've already created? You know, if we're going to keep it in context, if they want to go ahead on those coaching courses and focus on the grass, then that's realistic. You've planned something, and it's actually not what you planned. And then you've got to use, you know, the space, the, tech, the task, the equipment, and you adapt the whole thing, and you make it work. That's what I did every single day. I t- said to my players, don't call me at 5 p.m. when the session's at 6 because I've already done my player rotations, I've already done everything to do with the session. You've actually ruined my session. Like I said, that's you you've ruined it when you call me at five p.m. because you're tired from school. Like I can't handle that. And you know, they still did it. It's just a culture thing, and um, that's what's valuable. <laughs> and then you know, how to manage people and all that whole thing. Actually, this was on the Gary Kearney when I spoke to him not too long ago. We were talking about coaching courses and my experience in um, Northern Ireland in Belfast. And, uh, one of the things he was mentioning was, you know, what do you think about, do they talk about, um, psychology and and mental prep and that, and 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 I said, well, you know, I think a lot of the things that the psychology bit, a lot of people, coaches need work on themselves first. Like we're learning how to handle others, right? That's what it talks about mental uh, skills. But what about the excavating that, that we need to do as people, as coaches, So if we don't work on ourselves, how are we supposed to help others or create the environment we want when maybe we're not even doing it ourselves?
0: That's an interesting Yeah, it's an interesting point. And and while we're while you're kinda exploring the psychology of things, something popped into my head that has mm -hmm. been very, very common when I when I've interviewed you know, professional players or ex-professional players. the the psychology, the, you know, the mental side of going from player to real life, like, you know, how they handle that transition of, you know, being in that competitive environment on a day-to-day basis to going Mm -hmm. to who knows what's happening next. Right. And as I'm thinking about your trajectory from your playing career into coaching, you didn't have that, that gap really. You went straight from, you know, the competitive environment as a player immediately into competitive environment as a coach. So you've never had that like, you know, mental, I don't want to say, you know, breakdown period, but it's like, you you didn't have time to do that. Really. You didn't have time to th- sit there and think but about like, Oh, what am I, what am I doing now with my life type deal?
1: I love, I love that you said that because it's, it's true in many ways, but it's also not true. So if you think about it, I, the timeline was basically world cup 2015, okay that ended i went all the way to australia for the wanderer season and w league experience that was my last kick at the can and that was four months so during that time i was slowly being released from the canadian team so i was dealing with okay still playing do i still love this sport but also my dream to play for canada in the real olympics was dwindling every day so that happened and then i arrived home from australia in february and from february all the way through to december so that's almost a full year. The job with Canada wasn't across the line. I was uh, just going to contract work. And my, I, I actually moved. So this is part of the struggle. I moved all the way to Vancouver because I'm thinking, I'm not moving back with my parents. Are you kidding me? I'm 32 <laughs> years old. I have zero money, but I don't, get, I don't care. I'm not moving back with my parents. It's not an option. And I said, I, my buddy was like, come live with me in Vancouver. And one of my best friends. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Okay, 20K in debt later. Okay, because I decided to move across the country to the most expensive city in the world, literally, (laughs) because I literally didn't want to move home with my parents. And I went through I went through all of that stuff you're saying, like the the lonely days, like really, really weird and lonely days where all I had that day was maybe an academy to coach at night. Like nothing going on, really, ever. And then obviously the Canada stuff. Got me excited. I went to China in in June that year. I went to the World Cup in Jordan in September. Completely unexpected experiences, but they happened. And I made a lot of bad decisions (laughs) that year, financially and otherwise. And I felt that loneliness that I think maybe you're referring to. It's more of a loneliness and a lack of direction because you're just like, what am I doing with my life? You know? And It's um, you do you get really you do get thrown into the world of like nothingness after you're part of like a World Cup, for example, that it's so extreme. It's so extreme. Um, And it doesn't feel good. (laughs) There's no way that, you know, I don't think any player, no matter what they're going to, will admit that they don't miss their teammates having somebody care about. I remember I had a morning where I woke up in Australia and I remember thinking like nobody right now cares what I do today. When usually you're getting your pee is getting done for to see if you're you know getting measured to see if you're hydrated. You're getting weighed every day. You have three meals a day provided for you. You have two sessions. You know, make sure you stretch. And then you wake up one day and nobody cares about anything that you're doing that day. It's a pretty crazy dichotomy, I'd say. Pretty intense.
0: Do you think about that often? Like, does that does that impact the way that you have? started your coaching career or the way you interact with players or other coaches or management?
1: I think I try to, yes, I think I try to make sure that players know that it's it's an incredibly unique time in life, you know, and you never know until it's over how unique it was and how valuable it was. And, you know, with people, some players catastrophize things that are really not a big deal. And you just have to have an attitude of gratitude, not to sound too cheesy, but that's, you just got to appreciate it, and some players really lose that perspective. And I think those are the ones that have that really missed the boat. You know, you got to be grateful for what you have um, when you have it, because yeah, you know, I'm saying that as a 34 year old retiree. But you know, when you're 18, you're not thinking about this stuff. Um, but I think I do. I try to make sure that there, there's always perspective in in my coaching and making sure that they understand it's a it's a beautiful time in life that you're able, you're healthy, and you're able to run around and do this. It'll end one day. So every day you waste is, is, yeah, it's not worth it, you know? So I, I, I do incorporate those kinds of messages, although probably nobody gets it. <laughs> yeah. I definitely uh, try to incorporate that into my messaging, I guess.
0: As a – it's so – it's – Sports are so crazy to me, right? Because it's like you're 34 and you're retired and and when you think of retired people, you think of like somebody that's old and gray with a cane, you know, can't get out of a recliner. But, you know, 34, <laughs> that's me most days. <laughs> but 34, it's like you you are still so young and and have, you know, the ability to to do so many different things and and here you are now in the world of coaching. And at 34, you know, you've experienced quite a bit, but you know, you're still in the age range where you're not that much older than some of your players. I can, I can assume like you probably no, have, exactly. yeah. And, and so, you know, having to be in this leadership role or this leadership position of, of people that you're, you know, five or maybe 10 years older than can, I'm, I'm assuming can be pretty difficult. So how, how do you manage that side of things?
1: This year was a massive practice in that. These girls who were on the sting, uh, Iloara Stingrays, which is the club I coached here, they were actually my teammates at the Wanderers. So full circle, played with them uh, back in 2015, 2016, um, kept in touch, messaged one day, hey, guys need a coach. Literally a joke. Like I wasn't thinking, and they were like, <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, and it worked out. So there's that, and they're my age. This girl's my age. is one, my captain's older than me. So... When I, you know, came here and I decided, you know, it's all about healthy boundaries, how do I remain calm, myself, the, the, the parts of, of me that I, that I love and that, you know, that they love about me, but also what is a boundary, what does it mean to be a player coach and I had to redefine some of those relationships. So instead of me being, like, at the helm and being like, this is the way I'm going to do it, which is not how I lead anyway, I had, like, more of a player committee. So I had the trusted players amongst it. So everybody had a voice, like a leadership group, um, to make sure that they were respected as the age that they are and the experiences that they are. And I was, they were always heard. And there was always a forum for them to speak. So that was one thing. I said no a lot. Karm, come to come out with us. Carm, <laughs> <laughs> let's go for a coffee. Karm, that casual bit. So I said, I would say the ratio, I said, I said, yes, one out of eight times. I had to say no a lot. And it was, you know, even this past weekend, they do this, they call it silly Sunday. The girls went and they had a great time at the races and all this stuff. And they wanted me to go, come on, last kick at the can. I said, all it takes is one Snapchat of me with you guys (laughs) and I will never get a job again. (laughs) So I'm super clear on what I want. I want to coach. The friendships will be there at the end of the day, but I'm less social, I guess. Um, I would say zero. I have no social life. But that's that's my decision. I'm, a, I'm actually having a hard boundary around the social bit because I am this age. And I have to be extra careful. So a lot of coaches where that comes and bites them in the butt. You know? And I've had my fun. Trust me. Like, I've had fun in my life. I don't need that now. I'm very, very clear on my job and what I want to do. And I think you have to sacrifice to get that.
0: What do you want to be known for now? Do you want to be, like, when, when you look back on, on everything that you've done, and, and obviously you know your playing career has many more years uh, than your coaching career right now, but when, when you look back on everything, do you want to be more known for being a player or for a coach, do you think?
1: Definitely a coach. Definitely a coach. Um, I think you can affect a hell of a lot more people coaching in a positive way. Um, the many groups and teams and um, I'll be able to coach throughout my lifetime. I think that impact and that legacy is much more desirable. I think it was cool as a player to say, you know what, maybe I inspired a little kid to play and um, you know, that group of girls or that girl's team and and, in one way, but it's more by role modeling and just kind of doing what you're doing. But these active and working relationships that you create with people as a coach and you develop like, and you grow people for me, that is so exciting. I love that aspect I love teaching um, I'm so passionate about teaching the game in the way that John Herdman has imparted on me and now putting my spin on it and um, you know I'm continuing on watch I watch something times three every single day on um, different ideas and ways to, to kind of evolve my systems of, of play that I teach and, and things like that so I'm just the impact is so much so far greater as a coach and it's tangible. I think as a player, you just kind of did what you did, and people were inspired by that maybe, or not. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) (laughs) Or not at all, and you just need the coach. (laughs) Uh,
0: What you just mentioned is interesting to me too. So, you know, being a a coach, or just being involved in soccer in general, it's like you you have to constantly be a student. You're forever a student of the game. And you being on a fast track, um, having had the opportunity to go through like the c b and and a process probably faster than than most people will ever get to experience um is is something that interests me as well but i'm I'm, i guess the question i want to ask is what you're what are you currently learning like like where do you feel maybe that you're deficient or what do you want to improve and and what types of information are you looking at on on a day-to-day basis so like what what has you or what has your attention?
1: at the, at the minute, um, it's almost all to do with and it's, it goes in trends, right? Like you said, it's all about deficiencies and things you feel like okay, so I just I just lost six to one on the weekend past weekend um, in our playoff match. So that was the do or die game that was going to allow us to go into the semifinal for the grand final. So we came fourth out of twelve teams. we just lost six to one after we came second in the league by two points so over 22 weeks our consistency and our our road and our journey was fantastic we almost achieved first place in the league and then we get blown out and you know you're thinking about what the heck was that about and um, so there's some learnings I have from this season and I'll just put them on the table so learning number one every squad needs depth Depth not only for talent and for to give the the coach tools to make changes and substitutions and all the rest of it, but also to create a competitive culture. So I wasn't able to do that. I had 12 players that were of the first grade level. So the one player that sat out on the bench, there was always some kind of drama around that. The one that didn't get to play. And, and, you know, usually it's about an 18-player roster and I had about 12. So that there's that. You talk about being strong in certain areas of the pitch. I'm clear that you need a top goalkeeper. You need somebody that can save you a game as much as everyone looks for a goal scorer. Okay, you need a, you need somebody who can dig one out of the net for you. So um, something to do with a strong presence in a keeper. I learned I need. You need the spine to be strong. Of course, I need one centre-back that's going to lead. But this year I learned if you don't have a great centre-back pair, you can definitely struggle. Um and then, you know, the whole goal scoring thing, someone who's going to be our goal scorer, I don't really b- as much believe in that. Like, I know a lot of, like, Leicester City and a lot of the big teams and all the cool stories that have happened historically in the EPL and stuff. They had, like, Vardy, for example, somebody who did put the ball in the back of the net for the team. Um But I'm not as clear on that in my career at this point. I don't think you need a top goal scorer. I think you need people to be able to create goal scoring opportunities and then the confidence to put body on the line and things like that. I think you can do it without a top goal scorer. Um, And then my attention is now on all that stuff is great, but then the culture. There were some people I just couldn't break. I couldn't affect. You know, there had been too much in their past where their habits were already formed as an adult. Their bad habits, let's just say. And I wanna be able to learn how to affect and transform people on a way deeper level than I did this year. And on a week to week basis, i put so much into my session planning. Secondary was into the people. And then third was into the staff I had available, you know, the part-time staff. So I'm learning, was that the right way to do it? Should I have, a, should I have prioritized people? gone through individual meetings, group meetings, making sure I affected people and then put so much into my session plans. I think I might have flipped that on its head if I could do this all over again because people are the ones that make your tactics come alive and as a young person I think I put so much into my planning because I was so like I need to nail this session but maybe that wasn't it.
0: Yeah we we give the example of the players needing the players need to be willing to go to war for you as a coach and and Uh if the players aren't willing to go to war for you as a coach that means that you don't have the proper relationship with them and and it goes it's a two-way street so you need to be willing to go to war for your players as well and and if you know if that relationship is is not um you know if if that relationship isn't strong between you two uh, player, coach, coach, player. Then there's going to be, you know, there's going to be problems or deficiencies. Is maybe a, a better word. And something that that I think frequently gets misunderstood is that not every player, especially every star player and every coach, is going to get along. Like that's that's not uh, that's that's fantasy land. You
1: shouldn't strive for that. In fact, no, Actually, you should strive yeah. for respect,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. so, you know, like, Shared it's understandings. Not gonna, yeah, it's, it's not going to be like, you know, all puffy white clouds and, and rose petals and, you know, rainbows like that's not that's a fake environment. And and when people talk about like, you know, being a man manager and things like that, like those are all great things. But that takes lots and lots of work and lots and lots of skill. And and I think that's one of the most underappreciated parts of, of being a, a coach or a manager. So totally. hearing you talk, and, and, hearing, and, go ahead,
1: go on. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, just hearing you talk about that, you know, so early in your, in your coaching career, you know, you're, you're going to hit a couple of speed bumps right now, but you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, when, you know, when you're hitting full stride, like you're going to look back on that and be like, yeah, maybe it wasn't that big of an issue to have that in year one, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I think, all of the things you're saying, it's all about, like, another thing you made me think about is capacity, you know? Like, one person with part-time staff, you know, what do you tackle first? And like I said, I do think I would have flipped it on its head. I think the players knew that I put everything into this season. Heck, I flew across the world to do it. So, like, my sole purpose was to do this. And so they knew I was invested in them. I just think I personally have the the ability to connect with people when well well and so you know i need to make sure that the next environment that i commit to the next team and project that i take on or season or years whatever it is you need the right people around you i can't be calling nick lehman for help across the pond like you need people on the grass that can maybe take care of parts of your session because if you're delivering designing managing it's too much on that one person so i think if i were to take this job again i would make sure that there was a staff around me that I could at least bring one of my own. And then all those things you're talking about could have come to fruition even to an even greater extent. Um, so staff, people around you, good quality people that you trust, that's massive. Like, it's everything. Honestly, I'm leaving this season and thinking that's everything. I wish I would have had one more person full-time with me.
0: No, it's an, it's important. And people that haven't watched for whatever reason, if you're, if you're a total loser and you haven't watched all or nothing, the man city, you know, in its entirety four times through by this point, um, you're not doing anything with your life, but, but there's a really good example in, in that, in that documentary where, you know, Pep has a non-soccer person. Um, I think the guy was like a water polo player as, you know, his full time, just right hand man. And you know that that person's job was you know to be there to support the head coach and to bounce ideas off of, and to just be you know part of the, of the management of the day to day environment. Super crucial and super um, underappreciated and misunderstood by by coaches that don't that have never been exposed to that high performance environment before. You know, we as coaches of, of youth players you know, are so used to having to do everything, pump up the balls, you know, set out every single That's cone, right. you know, mm-hmm. put up the goals, uh, talk to the parents, make sure all the waivers are signed, everything, right? And That's right. And and knowing, knowing the value of, of bringing in like a staff or what having two or three extra people around you can add to the team, just coaches don't understand how valuable that can be. A lot of times and and... i
1: completely agree with you i completely agree with you it's um you know what's interesting is uh when i when you go to the going circling back to your uh coaching course question so at the uefa uh, b and a that i was just at in belfast the um the structure like in a perfect program you know how many roles they had around the coach you know how many like it was like a it was like spokes and like how many do you think how many roles did they say (laughs) this is the perfect staff and how Uh, many do you think we're on that
0: at least 16 i don't know 12 okay okay so
1: you you know you think about all the hats that every that the one coach in most programs like yourself and myself that we we wear like it's impossible you know again we're high achieving people obviously like you can tell that and that's it just puts you can't do everything well and that's that's in every profession in every career in every corporation you can't do everything well um so yeah good people around you is definitely a key and um people who are there for the right reasons for sure
0: what maybe i can try to to pry some practical advice out of you right now so coaches that are listening are, you know can leave here with with at least one thing hopefully um what what's one thing that you that you noticed during during the year that didn't need a lot of your attention?
1: That didn't. Hmm. Oh, that's a really good question. That's a stumper. Um, <laughs> what didn't need my attention? Hmm. You know, I would say this. You know, when they talk talk about you know, I, I inherited a group, and um, really getting to understand your group, knowing what they're about. So one thing that uh, when I asked them on, the, on day one and by the end of it, at the very last day when we said, what are we about? What's our identity as a team? And they said to me, this was, they had nothing to do with me. This is just who they were as people because they had played together for years and years. And they said to me, we're, we're a family. We never say die. We're gritty. We're resilient. And, um, and I said, OK, well, let me add that you guys will be the most connected and tactically organized team because that's how I can affect you. I can't affect your resilience. That's been built over the years. The family feeling that you have takes years to build, so we're going to rely on those two pillars. And I'm going to add and give you some new ideas, some guidance, and some tactical organization and connection. And then we were all, you know, that's how we're going to join forces. And that was our motto. It was in the locker room every 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 game. And when I say what didn't need attention was, I didn't need to be a motivator. I didn't have to do that. The girls that are at the heart and soul of the team did that, and so. Because my personality is big and I'm used to being a motivator and the loud one in the locker room, (laughs) to be fair, (laughs) I had to take a step away from that and say they don't need that from me. At halftime, when things aren't working on the pitch and we need to adjust X, Y, and Z, they need clarity, composure, calmness, and two or three things they can affect. And I had to just add the one ingredient that was going to take them to another level. So I was less the motivator and the cheerleader, which in my C course, when I first started my coaching, they were like, you're too much of a cheerleader, Carmen. <laughs> and then right away, you know, light bulb goes off. Done. Don't want to be that. And then you change, right? That little bit of feedback is invaluable, of course. So that's what I would say. That didn't need my intention. So know know your group and know what piece of the puzzle, If there's three things that they're going to be in terms of their identity, that group, they're going to be described as at the end of the season what's the one piece that you contribute it could be that they need the coach to be the motivator that could be the case for some teams but i doubt it you got to make sure you hand that over to the players and then what else and i added those things i mentioned so maybe that's my answer
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i've never asked that question before actually
1: that's a good one (laughs) very good
0: Uh, uh one question that I do ask frequently these days. Is I, I usually try to save this question for last, um, and you can you can answer this however you see fit. So if something okay. non soccer comes to mind, answer answer that. Whatever, um, but the question that I like to ask is, what do people need to know?
1: What do people need to know? Okay people first thing that came to my mind were parents <laughs> what do parents need to know and uh, what do parents and, and players need to know so parents and players need to know that's how i'm going to con- contextualize your question um they need to know that it doesn't happen overnight that um the instantaneous success that is visible on all aspects of social media in life these days is very false um that everybody has a different pathway. You know, the biggest thing that happens is you show up and you do a talk with kids or a group of people. And they're like, how did you get to where you are? I don't know. Tons of struggle. I quit a few times, (laughs) got told I wasn't good enough. Had to believe I was worked hard. Like there's so much to it. So my path is very different than, I don't know, let's say an extreme example. Contrast to Christine Sinclair, who's been a goal scorer since she was eight years old. Like, But we were on the same team at one point, you know, Melissa Tancredi, tons of resilience in that story. All my teammates that I'm comparing my journey to, you know, you think, what the heck? What do people need to know? Your path is your path. Do the best with what you have at the moment. Make the best decisions with what you have then. But nobody can follow your path. It's not how it goes. So forge your own. Make sure you believe in what you're doing and don't get bullied by the system. And so you have to do these, you have to go with your gut and do what, take your own path, basically, because there is no road to success. One road to success. Oh, Does that make yeah,
0: sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. That's badass. And it actually ties in a little bit to what you said earlier about you had learned so much from John Herdman, but then taken Massive. what you've learned and you've put your own twist on it.
1: You have to. Yeah, You have to or else you're just a copycat. And it's not authentic and people read that see that right away you know that's why i don't mind being explicit or or you know transparent because i think i'm always going to be this person Uh, you know i I think that's that's the important part is that it's a real real story you know i'm not a cookie cutter version i'm not trying to formulate on what i hope people want to hear it's just kind of like what it is and i have nothing really to hide in that way i just think it's a raw journey towards hopefully something great one day
0: Oh that's awesome um forty forty five minutes later, I still haven't figured out where the fuck your accent's from, but <laughs> <laughs> I told you that you wouldn't be able to <laughs> uh, it's a
1: little bit of a mutt like
0: yeah for sure um, is is there anything that we that we didn't get to that you feel like you uh, you came in this interview like thinking you wanted to talk about or get off your chest or
1: No, I loved it. It was like you said, it was going to be a conversation and that's exactly what it was and took a couple twists and turns and I've loved it.
0: All right, thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to my guest on today's show, Carmelina Moscato. I am going to be keeping a very close eye on what she's up to in the future. I think she has some cool stuff in store for her. And I think that you should do that as well. Uh, If you want to find more episodes of this podcast, articles, videos, all kinds of stuff, you can find that on 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And that is also where you can find out how to support and help fund this podcast and keep the lights on over here at 343. Uh, Specifically, I am talking about our online coaching education programs. And to hear a little bit more about an experience with one of those programs, here's Tom Beyer to talk about. And
1: I can tell you, after someone who's
0: done a lot of coaches education, both as a student, as an instructor that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any
1: full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop. Um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well.
0: Once again, if you would like to find out more about 343 and everything that we offer and all of the benefits of becoming a 343 Coaching Education Program member, you can find all of the information by going to 343coaching.com. All right, we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast. Thank you for listening.